Hey everyone, welcome to Trust the Trail. We are your outdoor guides, Ariane Petrucci and Scott Jans. This is episode 181, Backpacking Joshua Tree National Park. On this episode, we provide an in-depth trail report on the California Riding and Hiking Trail, extending 38 miles within Joshua Tree National Park. This historic trail traverses the most remote hikeable sections in the park, offering the densest population of Joshua Trees and iconic views of its surrounding wilderness. Get in-depth interviews from our listeners who booked this adventure trip with us about their own unique experiences in backpacking these 38 miles. Get talking about this topic in particular. Join in on the discussion on our Facebook group page. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash trust the trail podcast and start the conversation. Come hang out with us and be part of our family. Well, very cool. It was a great trip. Um, Joshua Tree is absolutely uh, beautiful. While you guys got to go backpacking, I got to go off-roading because <laughs> I was the cashwater boy. And it, the tables have turned. The tables have turned. And so it was my turn to catch the water. But going off-road in Becky's Subaru, by the way, was a last so it's always better when it's not your own vehicle well well yeah yes and no but she's got this like four-wheel drive and in like x mode and uh yeah it was really it was really fun so um great trip great crowd we got to uh really that was the 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 whole reason for the backpacking van and the airstream was the this was the trip where it was it did exactly what we knew it was going to do the airstream was in arizona and the backpacking van was in california and we were able to camp cook do everything in the backpacking van while it was on blm land north of joshua tree while the airstream was in arizona being watched and it turned out great i mean that's exactly what we envisioned when we took the uh, trust the trail podcast on the road so it was very cool great crowd of people we all we were all able to camp together in the california desert so it was very very cool um so let's start out we've got some super exciting news first of all i mean this is this is awesome so last episode we talked to aaron at backcountry foodie and we loved that uh, episode so much uh, we've been talking to Aaron quite a bit since then and we've got some uh, we've got some pretty exciting news backcountry foodie and trust the trail podcast are partnering to be able to give you our listeners and the people that um, book our trips a one-on-one consultation individualized on what you should bring how you can eat what you should eat based on your size, weight, age, and your food needs. We have a professional nutritionist and dietitian that is going to help you plan your meals. I mean, right? I mean, my that, head's exploding. I was like, that is an explosion of the head sound. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And the we're, visual that goes along with it. We're super excited. Um, so uh thank you so much aaron and backcountry foodie for doing a lot more details to come in the meantime if you guys want to go check out her site backcountryfoodie.com you have a promo code to uh, join in one of the one of her plans it's trust the trail boom promo code trust the trail check out her website because 
Um, what she and if you haven't listened to episode 180, I encourage you to skip and listen to that because that was a great episode. Um, and she really, we're 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 so happy to have her part of the uh, backpacking community. And as far as our Trusted Trail family, thank you so much for uh, participating in that, Aaron. Uh, we look forward to a lot, a lot of um, uh, good working relationships and uh, getting people to eat the right way and uh, in a nutritional way and energy way so we can hike those trails. We're going to need it for the Grand Canyon. I got news for you. Um, <laughs> and that's another uh, huge announcement. Uh, permits are in. We've got them in our grubby little hands. The uh, Grand Canyon event is published, booked, itinerary. Everything you need to know is on our events page. I know a lot of people have gone to that waiting for the details while it's on there. Grand Canyon, the last week of April. We may be trudging through a little snow on the tr- on the on the North Rim, but we'll be basking in the sun in the Colorado River. So you got the best of both worlds on that trip: snow and summer, <laughs> all within seven miles of each other. <laughs> it's only five thousand feet elevation loss and gain, so it's cool. So um, yeah, so we're very excited about that. So go ahead and check that out. And Ariane is going to give a complete detailed trip report on the California hiking and riding trail, which is absolutely a beautiful trail. Uh, if you get a chance to ever do that trail, uh, we guide through that. Uh, it's right through the heart of the Joshua trees and it is absolutely beautiful. You know, you are not the only one to do that. California hiking and riding trail. It's the California riding and hiking trail, which is goes against it defies all laws we're hikers not riders well and so everybody mixes that up time and time and time again if you watch it's the hiking and riding trail the california the riding, riding and, and well, hiking well trail. if you can if you can we're ride, gonna give a little history on why that is if you yeah please because uh I, that's deep sand <laughs> <laughs> well anyway let's get right into it because um we have uh, you know, we just came off of uh, backpacking in Joshua National Tree, uh, Joshua Tree National Park. It was all sorts of jumbled words today. And um, it was pretty epic. So uh, we're going to offer you a, an in-depth trail report and then stay tuned because you're going to hear from our listeners who actually went on the trip and booked it. So the California Riding and Hiking Trail is a continuous one-way 38-mile trail that connects the west and the east sides of Joshua Tree National Park and all of its wilderness areas. The trail passes through mountainous regions, including the highest peak in the park, which we did not summit, but we did sleep at the base of. It traverses desert flatlands, immense and unique, and I'm talking unique, boulder fields. And it offers just indescribable vista views and passageways straight through the heart of the densest population of the Joshua trees within the park's boundaries. So we did this trail from west to east in three nights and a total of four hiking days. So Our very first day out there, we started on the west side of the park in the Black Rock campground area. That's where the trail begins. That's where we started. 
The trail instantly begins to gain elevation from here. It's minimal, though. It's not really noteworthy, but you are going up all day long for the most part. In fact, you actually gain a thousand feet of elevation gain in five miles. So you can tell it's not significant, but as you trudge through the deep sand um, with a full pack and weighted down on water, you can definitely feel the elevation gain a little bit more than you would in just a thousand feet in five miles on a flat terrain. Um, you instantly have views of the San Giorgianino uh, mountain peak instantly, but you have to turn around for it. Um, that actually happens to be the highest peak in Southern California, and it was snow-capped for us out there, so it was pretty amazing to see it just against the landscape. Uh, but the trail weaves in and out of several intersections, crossing and route, uh, specifically through the first like uh, several miles of the trail. It's just a spaghetti junction. Uh, the trail is very easy to follow. Um, it's well marked. The, uh, you know, the park, the National Park has really protected this because this is a historical trail, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Uh, but you're going through washes, uh, you're going through some granite canyons, which are pretty amazing to see the geology features as you pass through it. So this is the time to like take your time and really enjoy en route because it is absolutely beautiful. Some of the, the rock formation features that you see, you see history literally unfolding on you en route. Um, and then of course, you go over a few peaks. In fact, you actually reach the highest point on day one going from east to west, um, the highest peak along the trail, not in the park, but along the route on the trail, you crest at 5,160 feet. And you can see visually it is all downhill from that exact point. And it's pretty amazing to sit. So I made everybody stand in that in that one little section and be like, okay, you Oh my God, high fives, you have hit the highest section on the trail. So a pretty monumentous uh, moment because it's, it's visually appealing in that moment as you're standing amongst the Joshua trees. Pretty, pretty unbelievable. Um, so water caches were a big deal on this trip. Um, you know, we are out there for four days, three nights on a trail with no water in a park with no water. So water caches were a big component on this trip for us. Um, and so Scott was able to do our water caching for us. Four hours it took <laughs> to go from the west side of the park to the east side of the park, caching water. And the funny thing about it is like, it's not like normal caching. So when you do the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, it's GPS, you're bearing water, you're finding little secret spots, you know, sneaky spots that only you know. Joshua Tree, everybody knows where your water's oh, yeah. at. Oh, yeah. Because and all these water caches are right next <laughs> to the parking lots. Yeah. And not only do the, not only do all the day hikers know where your water cache is, but all the wildlife knows where your water cache is also. And when, at the time that we hiked it, it had not rained. So... Um, critters were going, that's water. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can gnaw my way in. And they do. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> yeah. Water caching is definitely a strategic game, uh, planner, game changer planning. 
However you're going to say that. Both. It, it, water is very important on this trip. Um, and uh, you have to be extremely strategic in how you go about doing it. Um, so we had a total of three caches in route. Our very first cache um, was at Upper Covington Flats, which is where Scott got to do his off-roading. Yeah, and it's beautiful. I mean, the Joshua trees are gigantic. Yeah. Um, you can tell that it's, that's really kind of like the older section, and it is absolutely, it's a little bit higher in elevation. Um, the road to get to Covington Flats is so much fun. <laughs> I I can't encourage you enough that if you, after you get done hiking in the trail, after you drive through, and Joshua Tree National Park is gigantic. It's huge. It'll take you an hour to drive from south to north through the park. It's huge. Um, but if you get a chance to do that road, Upper Covington Flats, um, it is a, a sand uh, off-road experience of which you will never forget. I think you could probably do it in a two-wheel a high clearance uh, vehicle, depending on what the weather is and depending on con- different conditions. Um, I would probably say a four wheeler is best, um, but not absolutely necessary. But I could not have done it in the van um, because there's some parts where there's like a lot of low clearing um, Joshua trees that would just completely scrape up your your car, but you're you you can drive right through the heart of it, and it, it was a lot of fun catching water for you guys. It was a lot of fun getting to the water at that point. <laughs> so we started uh, rather heavy uh, with water. Um, uh, we were blessed with incredible wind, uh, beautiful weather, actually shall I say, perfect weather. Um, But we had a a beautiful breezy day uh, with wind gusts up to near around 28 miles per hour. And so that offered us, um, you know, that offered us just a lot more of a cooler um, aspect of hiking through Joshua Tree National Park, which which we were not anticipating receiving. So um, we loaded up heavy our very first day with water caching. But by the time we got there, we were really excited. We hit it at about eight miles into the trail headed from west to east um, at Upper Covington Flats. And so of course, we sat there, we loaded up, talked to a few people uh, who were hiking the trail, um, some day hikers that are just out there to enjoy, as Scott was, the the, the road in. Um, but that is your last cash opportunity um, when you're hiking through that, because you, after leaving Upper Covington Flats, you enter into probably the most beautiful part of Joshua National Tree. It is a 10-mile section. It is the most remote section within the wilderness um, where you don't see other people. Uh, You don't see, you don't have any road crossings or anything like that. And so it is the most remote section. So that was our water cache moment. Um, Of course, we were continuing from there to make camp. So from from that point, you are literally just hiking through some just beautiful, beautiful land. Um, you have these enormous Joshua trees that are that are popping up in front of you. They are so big, it defies every photo that you have ever seen of the Joshua tree. And green. And beautiful. And that's the thing that I think blows 
uh, or you know, blows you away knowing that how little water that area gets, yeah, and how yeah. green the Joshua trees are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was a pretty incredible. So from there, we are headed towards camp. Uh, we have another almost three miles to go with loaded down packs with water. Um, of course, our feet and bodies are getting a little tired at this point. Um, but right before we hit camp, we see the beautiful. Quail Mountain. The Quail Mountain happens to be the highest peak in Joshua Tree National Park. Um, it sits at 5,800 feet and then some. <laughs> um, but it's the highest peak um, actually in the in the Little San Bernardino Mountain Range in its entirety. So it's pretty epic to see this. It, it was funny to see everybody's reaction. They go, well, it doesn't look that tall, but we're already at like 5,000 feet. So so our perspective obviously is uh, a little off. A unique fact about Quail Mountain, though, I thought was that in 1999, uh, two single engine planes crashed into the west side, causing a big fire on, on that side of the mountain. So it is pretty barren. And it it looks, it stands out very uniquely um, amongst its own because uh, it's it's a barren landscape and everything else around it is like full of shrubs. And, and it, so it's just really unique to see. It definitely stands out. And I think it's interesting that stood out and it's the highest peak. So we're headed towards that for camp. We're sitting at about 5,000 feet. Um, it's windy. People are tired. We're exhausted. We have put in a full almost 11 miles on our feet that day. Um, but pretty incredible. Kept pushing them along. And we got to camp around 2 p.m. that day. Um, and we had epic, epic views of the Salton Sea and the mountain range and the trail of which we're about to head towards. The Salton Sea, the sea that wasn't supposed to be there. I know. There's a whole nother story with the Salton (laughs) Sea. A whole nother story. But you could see it. Oh, that was an incredible, that was an incredible night for our crew. Uh, The tiredest I've seen a crew ever. Uh, I think just the pure excitement of just walking amongst the Joshua tree, just, I did them in. Uh, It was an early bedtime. Well, I think, too, you know, when you're in that dry um, atmosphere, in the, in the dry climate, it does. I mean, you'd be surprised, you know, especially with wind and sun, it really does suck, you know, the energy out of you quickly. Yeah, it does. It does. So, uh, second day, we're at about a mile 11 on the trail, and we are in the heart now of the most remote section, headed down, uh, you know, towards... Um, the Juniper Flats area, which was probably everybody's favorite moment along the trail. So um, instantly you see where you're headed and it's probably the most visually impactful part of the trail itself. Not because of Joshua trees, not because of the epic views of what you're seeing, not because you're surrounded by all this beauty, but because you can see the trail passing on probably the most exposed portion. You are hiking directly on a ridgeline and you can see that ridgeline for about a mile and a half down just going down into the flats and it's pretty enjoyable it's probably my favorite part of the section Uh, so you do that and then you are just literally walking up and down this roller coaster of mountains until you hit the valley of juniper flats and that is where you encounter the densest population of joshua trees in the entire park yeah juniper flats is really cool to drive through also um we that was one of the places where we cached water in 
a vehicle. Second cache. A second cache. Yeah. And it is. It is high dense Joshua trees at its best. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I think, you know, I would say Upper Covington Flats, if you want remote backpacking, is probably my favorite. And you could drive out there and set up your tent and spend a couple nights back there. Um, but I think Juniper Flats is someplace where, you know, um, and we, you know, uh, congratulations uh, to Amy Tappendorf, who went to Juniper Flats and she soloed for the first time ever. So Amy was there. We'll talk about uh, the in, uh, the insurmountable um, hat tip that Amy gave us with <laughs> the whole water and the driving and everything else. But she um, drove out to Juniper Flats and the trail goes both ways. So you can go pick which way you want to go. And she went out there and left her car at the parking area and she went out and, and went out uh, a few miles and, and soloed in her tent for it the first time. So it's a very many beautiful area. Yeah, yeah. yeah, many firsts on this trip, but that's a beautiful area to go if you're in California and you are you want to build some confidence in a wilderness area um, and still be close to your car, but have the epic of, you know, Joshua Tree National Forest. A great one-nighter. Like Juniper, Juniper yeah. Flats is where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as Scott said, uh, you know, we, we cached our second water cache there. Um, but in true form, along this trip, we pick up our cache and then we continue on to go camping uh, because our caches, like we have said, um, are always near roadside and, uh, you know, poor the poor the parks service. It's all dispersed camping out there. And so, you know, you really need to go a mile away from any roads. Um, and then, of course, 500 feet off of the trail to be able to do dispersed camping. There are no campgrounds in route on this trail or within the park um, unless they're paid campgrounds. Of course, all those were shut due to COVID. Um However, uh, it was um, it was our opportunity to get even further away from uh, any of the visit visitors reaching those those parking areas and go more remote for a very remote backpacking experience. So, you know, we passed uh, we got to Keysview Road. We passed um, Ryan Campground and, uh, you know, started heading back up the mountain, uh, camped at around 4,000 feet in a dispersed area, practically a fishbowl of mountainous regions, which was pretty amazing because the coyotes there were very, very active. Um, and you could just hear them echoing with their cries um, uh, in the surrounding mountains. And it was just, it was such a wonderful, perfect campsite. And, and uh, Tom had a uh, uh, wildlife encounter um, in one of the campsites. <laughs> uh, here's a, a little uh, note. Um, probably not a good idea to eat Cheez-Its <laughs> and not lick your fingers clean. Put your hand down on the ground because you may or may not have a mouse encounter in Joshua Tree National Park. <laughs> in this um. case... Tom did have a mouse encounter. He did, although that was the next night. But it was, uh, it it was, it was pretty epic. <laughs> that was that was the episode where Jerry takes down Tom. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we we've talked about that so many times. It's you know people get so afraid of the big wildlife, like you know the bobcats, the cougars, the bears, and I'm like, it's the little people, it's, it's, <laughs> so the little, cute little, little tiny mouse. critters that'll bite your finger off. Oh, so from there, uh, we, uh, you know, we we start 
we start the morning. Um, we start the morning with incredible views and just these unique boulder fields. Um, the boulder fields start to like appear more consistently and just kind of all over the place. And it's just unbelievable what you're walking through. Um, here, this section of the trail, as you're as you're headed towards the geology tour road and beyond, you start to see signs of the history along the route. And you see the old trail posts that are still surviving today. Of course, the National Park has taken great care in them. But it's all from its original history. So a little bit about the California uh, Riding and Hiking Trail. It was originally envisioned in 1944 as a 3,000 mile loop trail around California to capitalize on the growing interest in California becoming an, a tourist destination at that point. The trail was to extend 38 separate counties stretching all the way from Mexico to Oregon. Does that sound familiar to you? It does. But it actually, this vision predated the PCT, and it is not the PCT original vision. In 1945, the plan was approved and actually put into the hands of the California State Parks Department. At that time, horseback riding was really, really, really popular. And this is the California Riding and Hiking Trail. Therefore, the trail was designed to link to suburban trails rather than just straight up remote wilderness in order to offer and capture both groups of outdoor enthusiasts and make it actually very user-friendly for them. And so, so everyone figured out you have to cash water. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had a horse, it wasn't a big deal. I guess a poor horse has a lot of water. <laughs> so work on the trail obviously continued through the 60s, but only a thousand miles of it was actually completed and funding ran out in true form. Right. So uh, the project kind of came to a halt or they had to decide what to do. Um, at that point, emphasis began shifting away from completing that 3000 mile trail and offering more shorter loops, serving more urban settings. So they had even more accessibility and just shorter like trips at that point. Um, they really were trying to connect Los Angeles and San Francisco and the hub that was coming into that and living in that area. Today, though, most of the original portions of that thousand miles that were complete got absorbed into the surrounding growth and development, uh, people purchasing private lands that started popping up, and the trail kind of dissipated. However, 38 miles of its original stretch are the 38 miles that we backpacked because when Joshua Tree National Park became a national monument first before becoming a national park in 1936. They protected that land and they protected all the original posts that they could. And it's unbelievable because you are walking through these posts that are, I mean, the wood they used held up. Why do we not make trail signs out of these these days? It was amazing to see. And we're going to post some photos of that um, on our, our Facebook page and, of course, Instagram. So take a look at that because it was really unique walking through the history of once was. And now it's just only 38 miles of what was originally visioned as a 3,000-mile trail. It's pretty epic. So we were walking in history. And I think the, the cool thing about just 38 miles, because a lot of people think, well, 38 miles, you know, that's not a lot. That It is so diverse. The, oh, the yeah. The landscape changes radically in 38 miles. I mean, you go from seeing 
these like Fred Flintstone. I call them the Fred Flintstone <laughs> type bedrock. These these rocks. They're they just look born. misplaced. They look misplaced. It's incredible scenery. Then you have the Joshua trees, and then you have like the sandy area when you have mountains all around you, and then you come out and you're in the desert. It's yeah. very desertish, you know. It's, like, what, you know, what, where, where did everything go? You, you walk a few miles, and all of a sudden, the it, it literally it, disappears. Like, it, it goes away that quick. Yes, and it's, and and new things pop up. So, in this particular area, as you pass Geology Tour Road, which is another dirt road and another off-roading experience, um, you begin to see Pinto Basin, which is the flatland in front of you, and all of a sudden, you have three hundred and sixty-degree views of every mountainous region the pinto basin these epic 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 boulder fields and of course all the geology that is like packed full into these like beautiful mountain ranges and it's absolutely breathtaking so uh, we camped a little bit past that in our last cache which we did at twin tanks parking area um that cache was fun because our cache was slightly compromised but not too much um, still safe to drink, uh, but watching the crows actually take the energy put into trying to get into this water was pretty amazing to, to watch wildlife learn an adapted behavior. Yeah, they picked, they, they pecked through the caps of so, the water, of the, of the water. And, you know, we were told to get hard plastic um, bottles with the hard plastic caps. We did. They picked through it or pecked through it. <laughs> pecked. And uh, that was, that's, uh, Twin Tanks is probably um, the most, uh, in in fact, I think we'd probably leave a car there uh, the next time we do it, only because the parking lot is so close to the trail sign and the kiosk. It's, uh, you know, um, water ends up becoming missing sometimes. So that would be the only thing that I think we're going to change for the next time we do the trip. But um, even that area is uh, incredibly diverse because when you come through the south end off of I-10 through Joshua Tree, that's kind of like the first time you, you, um, you, it's desert and there's nothing there. And you're like, well, where's the Joshua Trees? Where's all this epic scenery? And then that twin, um, that Twin Lakes uh, area right there, that's the first time where it's like, pow. It, the, the, the park just kind of like... Explodes. Wow. So it just wow. explodes. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. You know, this is it. Um, and, and you're just like, how is this even possible? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the farthest uh, we we cached water uh, for that. Um, and uh, again, from one side... From the west side to the east side, if you're if you're the water cash boy, um, <laughs> the mule, the water if mule, you're the mule. Uh, two things you're going to need: you're going to have to have another person help you, and it's going to take at least four hours to do. So, um, and we were very appreciative of it, Scott. Yeah, you have to know. <laughs> I, I I know you. You know the funny thing is you saved Becky and my life in Sycamore, and, then and now we, you saved ours. It's, we saved your life. It very cool. is a give and take in it, this relationship. <laughs> it is a give and take. Uh, so, so the last little stretch of this journey and the 38 miles, uh, you just go, you head due north from here. Um, the trail changes uh, from like a direct path to like deep, deep, deep sand. And now you are just navigating this open mix of landscape, which is like washes and flat land, uh, hard packed dirt. Uh, so you have Karen's and just kind of navigating through there is a little bit more challenging. But if you are 
are paying attention and looking, you can see the path that is most worn, but there's indicators there to help you out. Um, and then all of a sudden you see civilization ahead of you, the town of 29 Palms straight ahead in the last four mile stretch all the way to the north entrance. And you are just going and that is beautiful, even though civilization is at your fingertips and you don't want it. You don't want it. You like are, are eager to get there because you're tired, but you don't want it because you're like, oh, I don't want to get off this like remote, gorgeous trail. But it takes forever that last little stretch of the journey. Um, and all of a sudden like that, 38 miles are complete. And then the inspiration is, of course, you know, um, of a Gatorade we had in the van. <laughs> That, you know, that. We were, yeah, we were all bone dry at yeah, that point. If you're struggling water. a little bit, just know that if you're smart, you'll have Gatorade, food, snacks, fruit, apples, peaches, oranges, whatever you can. I believe. Um, at that very last. Uh, Don't remember uh, having a peach available to me, but. I was there. I'm the peach. You're my Georgia peach. I'm your Georgia peach. <laughs> um, and so, but if you're smart, and the end of the trail uh, looks like it, it kind of dumps off at the ranger office or the gate to get in. It doesn't. It's about 200 yards um, off of the gate when you come in. And it's a little dirt road. It's a little bit hard to find, but that's where the there's just a little dirt road circle with a kiosk uh, to park your car overnight. And... Um, and then you're done. And then that's it. That's it. Th that is you're, over. You have successfully done 38 miles of the history and the beauty of this epic California writing. So let's get uh, some uh, feedback of uh, some of the podcast listeners that went on this beautiful uh, trip. Um, one of the things that we like to share, Amy Tappendorf, thank you so much for helping me cash water. And congratulations to Stacy who completed her first backpacking trip ever. And congratulations to Vera, who completed her first multi-night backpacking trip ever. So we're going to listen to some of their stories. Stacy, wow. First of all, huge, huge congratulations to you. You have just completed 38 miles, your very first backpacking trip, carrying heavy water weight in a desert environment, and you definitely had some challenges coming into it with some ankle concerns. But regardless, huge congratulations. What are you feeling right now? You've just accomplished such a huge thing. I'm feeling a lot of things at once. Um, actually, the emotions that I felt on the last mile were really unexpected. Like when we all gathered at that last mile marker to to come in together, it just kind of hit me at that point that what that accomplishment was and all of my like fear and unknown coming into it and like, wow, like I actually accomplished this thing. I'm kind of still um, processing it. <laughs> like it still doesn't feel real, like coming out of just being so remote. And then all of a sudden we're just like thrown back into people and traffic and cars. And like, so I think I'll definitely feel it more later but um I just feel like a ton of emotions at once like relief <laughs> and awe <laughs> and like I understand that this is something that I will carry with me for a long time but I don't think that part of it I think that'll like reveal itself later yeah <laughs> I I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I saw tears coming 
behind your sunglasses at the very end of, of the trip. And, and, and I would probably be doing exactly the same thing, having done what you had just done. Um, so, <laughs> so it wouldn't be a normal trip for us if there weren't tears that were shed. So were somebody happy. had to shed them. They were happy tears. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> like at that point, like if anybody saw me crying, I just wanted like, it's not like pain or like I'm upset <laughs> or anything. I'm just like so overwhelmed with everything and it was like a really like cool awesome like excited like tears <laughs> yeah <laughs> but okay so very first time backpacker which uh is completely my jam i love seeing new people experience what you've just done um so i know one of your favorite parts about the trip were well you had a lot of favorites but one of them were coming through the field of Joshua Tree. You had just, in the Juniper Flats area, gone through the densest population of juniper trees uh, in the entire park. What was that like walking amongst them? It was surreal. And at the time I had said it felt like walking through a Salvador Dali painting mm -hmm. because that's his style of painting is that surrealism. It's like... It's real, I know I'm here, but it also just feels like a completely different universe or different world or different reality. And I felt like I was walking through a really cool dream. Like I knew it was actually happening, but it still felt surreal at the same time. And I also loved the personality of the Joshua trees. They're like <laughs> snowflakes, like not like I, they're, no two were alike. And I kept trying to find like the ones that I felt most like that I connected with that were like me. So like there's some like chaotic ones where their arms are all over the place or just like the weird ones that didn't quite fit in and those ones I identified with and I loved them for their unique personalities. <laughs> so what was a second favorite moment or what, what blew you away in a way that you weren't expecting aside from the Joshua trees? Overall, the beauty of the desert, even like doing research for this trip to kind of see what to expect and looking at pictures and things couldn't nowhere near prepared me for what I saw. Like the variety of the terrain and the geology and the plant life and the animals. And I mean, I thought we were just going to be walking like on a flat sandy trail for 40 miles. Like I had no <laughs> idea we we're going to be going up and down mountains on, on ridges and doing switchbacks and like in every corner it was this different view and it was I mean I just I had no idea it's something that I've just written off my entire life and it's more beautiful than almost anything I've ever seen. Yeah <laughs> it seems to be the consensus in these interviews. <laughs> um, well that's that's why that's why you come to Joshua Tree is to see this breathtaking beauty and this trail gives you such a diverse look at the park, you know, going west to east or east to west, however you choose to do it. It offers you just so much variation. Um, you, you know, you talked about not expecting the terrain and the desert and you thought you were walking in this flat moment. Was there one moment that you just couldn't believe what you were seeing? Or just all of it? <laughs> 
I th- I mean, there were several moments. I mean, the Joshua trees, definitely. And, like, there was a second um, area, like, when we got into more of the desert, where we were walking through more Joshua trees. And I think that's when we were walking together and I was talking about the layers. Yeah. And it was, like, right in front of me was, like, this desert um, area of, like, Joshua trees more spread out. But then beyond that were, like, these random boulders and then beyond that were, like, some closer mountains, and beyond that were, like, some hazy mountains, and it was just, like, it just kept going and going, and so that, and actually, um, the boulders, too, Mm -hmm. that was probably the most surprising, um, because I had seen pictures of cacti and mountains and Joshua trees. I I didn't even know something like that boulder field even existed. Like, that just, just came out of nowhere, and it was awesome in the fault line and like the first line that we saw and tom said that's a fault line like i i believed him but i didn't i'm like nope someone just stacked those <laughs> rocks in a in a line there and but then when we got in the boulders and we actually saw the fault line going like in the boulder like where it was like raised up a lot it was just it was like i felt like i was witnessing like the creation of the earth like i was sitting there <laughs> at the creation of earth like it was i was just so cool <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the best way you could describe it. I was about to say you just got schooled on geology, yeah. but <laughs> but uh, yeah, the just to see the way the Earth forms in ways in which you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine. Uh, it, it had everything. It the trail had everything for you to kind of absorb from that. That made it so great. I mean, you guys were so encouraging and so patient and so just understanding. And it that helped take a lot of some of that, like, internal stuff away. <laughs> well, now you're officially part of the trail family. So, <laughs> well, I think it was absolutely impressive what you accomplished. So congrats and job well done and get back out there. Awesome. Thank you. So happy to be part of the family. Okay, Tom. Uh, well, this is your very first time in California. And of course, you are in Joshua National Tree Park. Um, and relatively new to desert hiking, I would say, um, give or take, even though you've kind of dabbled in it a little bit. So what do you think of the terrain that you've just backpacked four days in? Well, coming from Michigan, it is like night and day. Very few trees other than the beautiful Joshua trees. But the big thing is managing your water. Um, You have to have water caches out here, where back home, water is everywhere, literally. The, The terrain was interesting, and it was always changing over one mountain pass or around next corner always held my interest so i really enjoyed it yeah i I, that that was beautiful part of it um so how was how did managing the water work for you like so we cached we cached everybody to be able to replenish five liters in total to get to the next cache which was anywhere from you know 11 miles to about nine miles why should say that in reverse, nine to 11 miles. <laughs> um, so how did you do managing the, the water and then how did you do managing the weight of 11 extra pounds on your back? So we had plenty of water, luckily. None of our caches were compromised, so that helps. I didn't run out of water, but I was to the bottom of my bladder a couple times. <laughs> um, so 
that's good. The extra weight, definitely notice the extra weight. Um, you know, used to carrying two liters, and now we're carrying five liters. That, that adds up in a hurry. So it slows you down a bit, but our leader had a great plan, and it worked out. You say that your, you know, most of your favorite moments on a trip have to do with wildlife, but you did have a unique wildlife encounter at third camp. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> We were all sitting around our virtual campfire um, that our guests graciously put together and a mouse came out behind us and then it scurried off and then we're sitting around the campfire talking and it came out and bit my finger. <laughs> um, I had, in the mouse's defense, I did have Cheez-It dust on my finger um, and I'm sure he, was, he or her was quite hungry. So, and it hung around camp for quite a while and entertained us. It did. It did. This is, I would like to say that that was the episode of where Jerry takes down Tom. <laughs> Most definitely. What, what else stood out to you it, in anything, anything about the trip at all? What else stood out to you about whether it's the environment, the group, the people, the experience, your own personal hike uh, that you want to share? What really stood out to me is that we did 38 mile, 38 miles in one national park, Joshua Tree, and how much things changed all the time. The train changed, the growth changed. Um, it was just you never knew what to expect around the next corner. The boulder fields, the mountains, the Sultan Sea that we've seen from our <laughs> campsite. It was just always changing. So it, when I thought of the desert, I thought of this vast plain of sand and cactus and scrubby growth and no trees and it's anything but that. All right, Becky, let's get right in to talking about food. How did the actual, the desert climate itself um, of Joshua Tree alter what you wanted to eat in route along, on, along the hike and at camp versus the previous desert experience because they are two very different desert experiences, two de desert climates. Water alone, and um, water aside, I should say, uh, because we did have a lot more. How how did that change? And were you surprised by the difference in the two desert backpacking trips? Yeah, um, I felt like this desert backpacking trip, even though it was an additional day and night, was easier on my body. Um, as well as, again, I think a lot of it, the big component was that we did get more water. I am a water drinker, um, and I'm, I'm learning to train my body and, and know that it's going to take care of itself if I don't have as much water. But, um, from the first time I packed more meal meals and this time I wanted like, even for lunch, I just wanted to eat snacks. You know, I wanted like quick little grab go like protein, maybe something quick carbs. I didn't want to necessarily have to, and I did for one day. Uh, but I think again, it's going to be a lesson learned for, you know, the next time, uh, boiled water to make uh, Lipton soup. But, um, I think that was the big thing is I still was heavy on my food. Mm. I was 6.2 pounds for four days of food and I did almost eat all of it, but I would like to try to work on not eating as much. Cause even like a mountain house meal, it's like my body is only doing this for four days. It doesn't need all the sodium. You know, what can I do? And we talked about, maybe for the next time taking out the sodium packet and just adding your own spices you right. know to couscous lighter weight you know carbohydrates but without all the junk so 
this is a question I'm dying to talk about. So we had some really lengthier mileage days, more than I think probably what you've been accustomed to in the past in terms of backpacking, uh, at least the trips that you've most recently done. Um, particularly longer mileage day with all that added weight, right? So there's a really there's a huge realization that that you came to on this trip in shifting more into a backpacker than previously identifying yourself as a hiker. So let's talk about that. Uh, what was it that happened to you out there? Oh gosh, this is actually one of my biggest growings right now, switching from being a hiker to a backpacker, is I've done high mileage as a hiker, but the beautiful part in that is either I come back to a car camping spot where I've already got my tent set up, or if I'm doing you know something like the El Camino de Santiago in Spain, you get to a hostel, whatever, you can throw your pack off, you take a shower, you're all set. Well, day one, coming in uh, backpacking where we had, we ended up going 11 miles and we had just reloaded up on all of our water and it was very windy, very, very windy. We're trying to find the, the right spot to pitch our tents and get out of that wind knowing that it could be, you know, a lot of wind in the evening as well, uh, but then also wanting to make sure we got a, a flat spot. So we're going through all these ridges and I just hit this point <laughs> where I was done. My I was done and I just said, oh, this is good enough. And so I took my pack off. You know, everybody's trying to find their spots. Ariane's helping everyone as a wonderful guide would do. And she comes up to me and she said, you know, this is right in the wind. Are, are you sure you want to go here? Maybe we'll just, you know, look for other spots. And I was like, I'm done. And <laughs> I have never seen anybody set up a tent so fast in my life. <laughs> What's done? And uh, I, what, what was also getting to me, which is also an, an adjustment being from what I would identify as a hiker to a backpacker is uh, I sweat. And so sometimes when I hike, I can regulate my body temperature. But when I've stopped and it's windy, I'm sweaty, the sun is coming down. I did. I pitched my tent up. It was very windy. And I just told her, you know, what? I'm going to change into some dry clothes. And then I'll think about whether or not I want to move my tent. But the, that came, yeah. I, I, that came after, that came after, nope, nope, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Nope. Nope. I'm good. <laughs> There's a whole missing like half hour there <laughs> that you're not talking about. <laughs> this is true. I was so in my mind. I was like, no, I'm done. I'm done. And, um, but Ariane was so wonderful and Ariane knows me well enough to, uh, and I know her well enough too, um, to know that she wasn't taking no for an answer. And I am usually the one where people just know that, you know, they're not going to get, <laughs> they win that battle. But I knew she was right. And I kept, I did tell her at some point, I was like, I know you care about me and you're looking after me. And, you know, essentially, you know better than I do. But I just, I knew I needed to take care of my core body temperature. So getting out of those dry clothes, getting a little bit of water, electrolytes in me, just getting a chance to reset for a little bit. She did find me a better spot. We did move my tent and she helped me, you know, set it up. I'm not going to lie. I was in bed by 4 p.m. that <laughs> night. Um, I tucked myself in and she came in and she adjusted my tent because it had already started to collapse. And again, in my mind, I'm like, this is good enough. Uh, but there are certain conditions where that's not going to be good enough. So I got, I lucked out in that I had the luxury of that. 
but there might be a time where I'm going to have to do it in, you know, a storm or whatever that is, and I'm just going to have to suck it up and do it. So it was a good learning experience, the camp chores, the time that it could actually take to find a spot can sometimes take between 30 minutes to an hour that you don't necessarily anticipate. You think, my, okay, we're about the mileage we said we're going to be done, but you don't know what it's going to look like out there. And, and any given day could be different conditions. And so having the additional reserve of energy and that mental preparedness to know that, yes, I need to make sure that I'm going to find a spot um, so that I can really care for myself so that I can hike and, you know, backpack the next day. Uh, but then also make sure that I'm taking care of my core body temperature uh, through all the elements is just something that I think in time I'll get better at with more experience. You guys, thank you so much for listening. We had a blast on this uh, podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to show some love, go to trustthetrailpodcast.com and click on our merch link. We have partnered with Teespring. We've created a Trust the Trail store, coffee cups, t-shirts, hoodies, all your favorite things. Also make sure you go to trustthetrailpodcast.com while you're there and sign up for specific emails about trips meetups and events we're putting some pretty cool stuff together for 2021 shout out to our lovely and amazing facebook members thank you guys so much and our patrons who without them we could not be doing this podcast so thank you so much for your support angela kim caverman brother bear jill lang ej newell becky wenger Helene Prophet, Ted Jones, Bob Esser, Jeff Nyman, Danny Bowen, Jack Masters, Amy Tappendorf, Lisa Pruitt, Mike Pellet, Brad Wolf, Suzanne Johnson, Gary Busia, John Phillips, Shirley Nutt, Rick Hornick, Jessica Wolfen, Ethan Corona, Jordan Lenkrek, Susan, Suzanne, Susan Adams, Jill Ryder, and Kevin Frost. Thank you guys so much. If you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon's a website. It's a secure platform that lets you support your favorite content creators, podcasts, musicians, YouTubers, all you need to do is create an account and go to Trust the Trail podcast, and as little as two dollars a month, get special benefits for exclusive content, and be able to watch this podcast um, that we videoed, and you'll be able to see a little bit behind the scenes of how Ariana and I record a podcast in an airstream in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we add that little flavor to that. Our podcasts are available on iHeart. Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google Play, all the big ones, all your favorite podcatchers. If we're not on one that you listen to, let us know. And we'll get on there for you. You got to go to our Instagram account, Trust the Trail, and look, watch at some of the photographs that we've been taking lately in the desert and on Joshua Tree. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, inspiring inspiring it's just been <laughs> it's just been very very cool and i've also our trust the trail facebook page remember and i think uh if you ask stacy or vera or amy tappendorf on this particular trip what the trail can give them it it builds self-esteem it builds confidence it it, it it gives you so much more than just hiking the trail the trail gives you everything that you need so trust the trail you guys bye bye